Hey, this is Ellie Holcomb, and you're listening to Frequency. Hey everyone, and hey Joe, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Again, Joe and I are talking from coast to coast, and uh, yeah, we haven't had a chance to talk recently, so we're catching up a bit. How are things going out in the West Coast, Joe? You know, I can think of all kinds of wonderful things that are probably happening nearby, and uh, at my house, the, the boy, Sammy, just turned six years old on Saturday, and we had the typical six-year-old um, sugar high birthday blowout. So uh, that's fun. But were there mixels there? Oh my gracious. There were so many mixels. Um, there <laughs> Do you were remember least, that little commercial? I, I think there were, there were like seven or eight mixels that he got. Yeah. So he, he was very I, excited. I just remember our mixel, uh, interlude during one of our episodes. There's so many combinations. <laughs> I, know, I, I, know. I think it's the the f- awkwardness of the fact that you would make a great announcer for their commercial well you know what we need to make sure is that we contact the folks uh, in legos at legos i think that's sweden right yes. and uh, let them know that i am here for them <laughs> whenever they're ready i'm here to bring to life mixels, mixels. <laughs> <laughs> either that or be a tour guide at ikea Oh, oh, because please. that's painful. Have you ever walked through Ikea? I have. I have uh, many, many times. In fact, I have walked through it enough that I could veritably be a tour guide at Ikea. <laughs> because um, I t- the camera's not on, but let me see. The, um, the, the lamp here is Ikea, and the two bookcases are Ikea. The chair is Ikea. The bed is <laughs> Ikea. The mattress oh on the bed is Ikea. I mean... Wait a second. Does, doesn't that mean that you had to build all of those things? It is true. Probably two-thirds of the furniture in our house was built by myself and procured at Ikea. <laughs> so you are the builder of the furniture that you live with, and then Legos for the kids to, to learn how to do that at that level so they can build Ikea stuff later on. Right, because we're eventually hoping to move into a tiny house. Because <laughs> that just makes sense. It does. It oh, does. Man. I don't know why I got on that. It was just funny. I was thinking well, of it. This was a nice departure. I'm, I'm sure the people listening are going, wow, this is the best episode ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, another cool thing, a friend shared an app with me. It's called Prayer Mate. Uh, actually, is it's, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, it's a it's a very well known blog. <laughs> I just lost his name. Anyways, that's what um, editing is for. Yeah, the app is it, called Prayer Mate. Yes, actually, it was uh, Tim Challies' blog. Tim Challies, Challies dot com. Uh, I don't know why I lost. It's it must be because it's ten thirty at night. Anyways, I uh, came across his blog and he shared Prayer Mate. Now, I don't know. The jury's out on it. I haven't had time to actually do anything in it. But it's designed to help you, for people who are busy, <laughs> to focus your prayers. So I guess I do need it really badly. So anyways, I just loaded it on my phone, and I'm going to 
add my family and friends and you in there, Joe, as well, Thanks. Um, among other things. And it kind of guides you through. I just thought it was a really neat thing to try. It's free. And anything that's going to help you in your relationship with God, I think, is awesome. So I have no problem plugging a free app. So there you well, go. Well, let Prayer me know read. if you like it. Maybe we should uh, provide a link to it for folks, which I guess is tacit to promoting it. But I don't know if it if it's worthwhile uh, and if yeah if it helps with that. I know that some people keep a prayer journal where they write down people to pray for and mm-hmm. and. And, um, you know, there has to be something more to the words, I will pray for you, than just saying those words. Yeah, and, yeah, it's it's almost lip service these days, isn't it? I mean, when, when you say that, it's almost like saying, hi, how are you, when you really don't want an answer. Yeah, yeah, I, d- I don't disagree. Yeah, most people are, it's just a cultural thing. It's, yeah, um, it's coffee talk stuff. So, yeah, it's it's a cultural thing, I guess, a church culture, not a cultural thing, but a, an actual church culture thing for people to talk like that. Yeah. Um, it's a little depressing to even think about the fact that we have a church culture of apathy and um, <laughs> uncaring, I guess you could say. Um, but I think it's more so just conditioning. So what have you been uh, reading lately online? Anything good? Interesting? Actually, honestly, uh, a, a friend, somebody who I, I've followed along and I connected with on Facebook and Twitter, her name is Sarah Fine. Oh, yeah. Um, she, she's got a really cool blog. Um, I've, I've never seen somebody who's so brutally honest, it, it seems painful. Um, and she's just, she's a really good writer and she's just personal blogging. You know, she's talking about struggles, she's talking about you know, um, the realities of being a single Christian woman living on her own, trying to make it and, you know, struggling with certain things in jobs and working and, and Christian culture, man, she, she just hits a home run. Every time I read her blog, I'm like, I want to share that. So we got to connect with her and, and share. Actually, I think we did one tonight. So if you follow our Twitter feed or Facebook, uh, we shared one of her blogs uh, about the reality of, of working in, in the Christian realm in, in music and promotion and just the real life stuff that goes on um, in promoting music and artists and uh, the realities of, of human beings and how they yeah. can be. But yeah, I mean, we... You know, I did kind of mention to her that we appreciated her writing, um, and we do. So you may see from time to time she's given us permission to share some of her posts. So uh, we look forward to sharing uh, her writing with you. And speaking of writing, uh, I think that's um, basically what we're headed to today in this podcast. Uh, You had the opportunity to interview uh, Emily Waringa. Don't ask it as a question, because if you're looking for the guy to pronounce it correctly, it is not me. Uh, I'm the guy who said... Never mind. I'm not even going to go there because, Emily, if you're listening, I just apologize that you have been very gracious uh, to me in my continued butchering of your name. And I tried to do a good job in the interview edit to make me sound intelligent when it comes to that. But <clears throat> yeah. Now, does she currently reside in Canada? Yes, she does. Yeah. Yeah. OK. I thought so. Alberta area. Um, the book that she wrote, Atlas Girl, is it's a memoir, is it not? It is. I didn't get I didn't get the chance to read the book myself. One of our our um, contributors, Mark, 
uh, actually read the book, and he really enjoyed it, right? He did. And then um, after we posted the review, the uh, the publisher just asked, would you be interested in talking to Emily? And I thought, well, gosh, Mark liked this book so much. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I read most of the book before I talked to Emily, not 100% of the book. I have edited out the portions of the interview wherein I tip my hat to the fact that I had no idea what happened in the last 25% of the book, which, by the way, <laughs> is some pretty important stuff. So, But it right. is a beautifully written book, and it was great to chat with her about it because, well, let's listen to the interview, and I'll finish my thought on the other side. All right, here's the interview between Joe Brookhouse and Emily Waringa. Hi, this is Joe Brookhouse, and welcome to the Frequency Interview. Um, On this fine day in late August, uh, we're chatting with author and really uh, multimedium artist Emily Wieringa. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Okay, thank you. Wow, very close. Okay, well, tell me the right (laughs) way so that everybody knows how badly I pronounce it. Wieringa. Okay, you said it, and I'm done now. So. And we're talking to Emily today about um, her, her actually quite excellent book, Atlas Girl, Finding Home in the Last Place I Thought to Look. So it was released on um, July 1st, so just about a month and a half ago as we're recording this interview. Um, so you've been, um, it's been out there long enough, you have some perspective on how the book is done. But before we really spend too much time there, maybe you could um, tell us a bit about kind of the premise behind the book. Uh, I've got a number of questions about the book in general, but just to give some people some perspective on generally what the book is about and maybe a bit about you. For sure. Um, Well, the book began when an editor from Baker asked my agent if I'd want to write a travel memoir. And it was really an answer to my um, deepest longing to write about my journey with my mom especially, but um, my journey with the Lord. And Um, to not just focus on my eating disorder, which is a large part of my story, but um, just on what I've learned about love and faith and the church and um, family. And so uh, I wrote it really as a spiritual journey and as a physical journey through everything that I've I've encountered. And as the title suggests, it's about, it's a lot about searching for home. And... um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and finding home. And now you left your family home, I think, at 18. Mm-hmm. But really, I think I left a long time before that. You know, um, just within my heart, I, I never really felt like I belonged in my home, even as a, as a child. I think um, my dad was very busy with ministry. And, you know, we lived in Africa for a couple of years as missionaries. Yeah. Um, missionaries. And, uh, you know, I began to see the separation between the ministry and and home and how we lived kind of in a glass house and that especially became apparent when my dad came back to Canada what we all did and he went to seminary and and became a pastor and um, really that's when the glass walls were erected and we we there were four of us you know living in quite a poor condition or just with not a lot of money and my mom was very stressed and tired and my dad was gone most of the time and I didn't have a good view of ministry as yeah. the eldest child I had a lot of responsibility put on me um, 
missed my dad like crazy and really just longed for his attention and really associated God with my father, as I think we all do um, to a certain extent. Um, and so those beginning years in the church and in my home were really estranged, you know, I just felt um, like I didn't belong in my own skin. I would try desperately to earn my dad's approval by, you know, drawing perfect pictures or writing perfect poetry or, you know, yeah. doing something that might get him to stick around a little longer. It didn't seem to work. You know, you say that, and one of the things that I that kept coming back, at least for me in the book, because our relationships with our parents are so important, is how um, you saw your mom kind of push your dad away at the same time you were longing to be closer to him. And it feels like that's that tension between the three of you or between that relationship is kind of a, an ongoing character almost throughout the book. Do you, is, is that a correct characterization? Absolutely. And I definitely did not write the book to blame my parents at all, yeah. but rather to show how we're all broken. Um, I really I weave between the present and the past in the book on purpose so that I can show how the thread of redemption kind of um, ties it all together. You know, and in the present, I'm taking care of my mom who has brain cancer and my dad and I are, are reconciled and working together to care for her. And um, and then I go back to the past where, you know, I'm I begin to starve myself out of you know, a longing to be loved, a desire to be heard and seen, and just the juxtaposition of the two. Um, it, it wasn't just out of a desire to be creative in my writing, but also out of a desire to um, show that we never just live in one time period. We live with our past and we live with our future. And, and how are we leaving it all together? Well, it certainly provides a perspective as you go through that allows you to, at a given point in the story, to reflect upon how that past has influenced what is occurring at this moment. And I think you've done a fantastic job of placing things appropriately. So even if you feel momentarily a bit lost in the narrative, that it pulls you back and understand I understand why she's talking about this, or I understand why 15 pages ago this was mentioned, because here it is kind of leading up to this very mm -hmm. point. And um, I guess one of the things that I took away as much as anything from your book, at least in terms of considering who you are, because it's about you, it is a memoir, is that our reviewer Mark said it's about truth. And I think by saying that, what he... Uh, w intended was that you, you, you're not shying away from the raw and the ugly, the struggles in relationships, you're wrestling with God. When you made the decision to write a travel memoir, some of us imagine that it's going to be Atlas Girl. It's a happy story of a lady <laughs> traveling from one place to another and sharing God's word. And that's not what you get. We get raw Emily here. So is it, is it tough for you to share that, or is that just part of who you are? Um, it's both. You know, um, I've always been very honest, and I think that was one of the hardest parts of growing up in the church is that I sensed a lot of um, hiddenness, a lot of two-sidedness. And from a very young age, I, I thought, why aren't we being real with each other? You know, yeah. I see the pain. And why aren't we sharing this? And I think a lot of the reason I stopped eating at nine years old was I couldn't 
control the world around me. It didn't make sense to me. Um, people weren't doing what I thought they should be doing, which is being real. And so I decided to get real and stop eating and, and show how much it hurt me, you know, and, and that was the only way that people would really listen, unfortunately. Um, and I think it's sad when people have to get to that point to be heard, um, especially in the church. And I think there's a lot of young people, you know, that are going through that these days. And so, yeah, it's definitely difficult to be so vulnerable, but it's the way God made me and I don't know any other way. Yeah. Well, it seems it seems very natural. And as I've read some of your blog posts leading up to this, um, it seems like if you'll excuse the term, uh, being exposed or exposing yourself is just something that is important to you that, uh, and, and, and frankly, it, we talk about this a lot in, in the interviews that we, we do on frequency that, um, one of the things that we hope to get more out of art is, is reality that walking the Christian walk isn't about every day is perfect. It's about days mm -hmm. are challenging. Some days are wonderful. Some days the lament is the song that's in order. And um, mm. there's, there's a lot of hope in, in Atlas Girl. There's a lot of recognizing that there's a journey that we each have to take. And, you know, if, if your journey is perfect and you are not living in reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we're temporary, right? At least, mm -hmm. at least I, we're going to get rid of this this awful shell here very shortly. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> watching your, your relationship with your dad throughout the book, mm -hmm. especially as we get to that point where he calls you, you're in Korea, yeah. and he asks you if you'll watch your mom through the webcam. And, I, yeah. and to me, that's a powerful image uh, of him struggling to be vulnerable in his position yeah. in, in leadership and mm -hmm. how is he doing in terms of vulnerability? He's become a different person. Um, you know, he's, he's so humble and, um, you know, he still struggles with obviously his own like shortcomings, but overall, um, you know, he's a different person. Um, but how, so how is your dad and your mom's relationship, you know, when you consider going back 20 some odd years, how are they doing? Well, actually they're doing well. So I, I mean, I, they're doing really well. My mom, like she, after eight years of brain cancer, which I can share with your audience, they, um, she was, the doctors couldn't find the tumor anymore. So my, um, really my dad and mom have never been closer and it's really beautiful. Dad just adores her and they just celebrated their 36th anniversary and yeah. That's awesome. Cool. So thank you for allowing me to take that little yeah. departure there. The, when I read a book, especially like this, part of me just wants to be like, okay, let's go in a corner over here and let me ask you all the stuff that yeah. nobody else is going to care about, but yeah. that just kept popping into my head as we go through. As a man, and we struggle with mm. not wanting people to understand how we're hurting yeah. because we don't, for me personally, my wife is always like, why, why don't you tell everybody in your family about everything that's going on? Like, cause I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Trent's the same way. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just a guy thing. We'll, we'll figure yeah. it out eventually. It's not a bad thing. I think you're protecting 
it's your instinct to protect. And it is frustrating for us women, but that's okay. We can be frustrated. Now God you know, built us this way. So you, you've, you've noted that you've, that you've struggled with uh, anorexia on and off. Uh, plays a major role in the book. In, from your perspective, where you're at now, and I'm not suggesting that everything is 100% perfect in that regard, but where does that come from? And you've written a couple of books on that subject, so um, what are you hoping to do to inspire people? Yeah, well, just to briefly, for the audience listening, um, just so they understand a bit about my journey, I did um, purposely starve myself from the ages of 9 to 13, and um, at 13, I was 60 pounds and dying, and um, my parents put me into a general hospital and said I couldn't leave until I ate. And it was on the way to the hospital that I saw, you know, a woman jogging outside my window, and she was so healthy and muscular and beautiful. And it was in that moment that I realized, like, the scales fell from my eyes, and I realized that I was dying and that this was not living and that I was ready to eat. And um, I think we all have to have that epiphany, whatever we're going through, to see how we're slowly killing ourselves through our actions and not truly living. And when I got to the hospital and the nurses said I was a miracle, I realized I had a Heavenly Father who adored me. It's like I heard His voice for the first time saying, I love you in your mess. And I'm saving you in this moment for a purpose um, because I should have been dead. I really, I had stopped eating completely. I was hypothermic. I hair was falling out. I was a, a skeleton. And so I began eating that day. And I ate throughout my high school years. Still had a lot of bitterness towards my parents. Um, Unfortunately, I did not deal with the issues that had caused my eating disorder in the first place. And when I went to the Middle East at 22, I was engaged. Um, and I went um, for six months to the Middle East to serve there. And at the end of those six months, I'd never been closer to the Lord than during that time. And then someone said that I had put on weight um, during my time in the Middle East. And you know, we have to be so careful with what we say to one another because we never know when one comment will affect the rest of their life. And that one comment caused me to drop my sandwich that I was eating and fall hard back into anorexia for the next three years. And the difference was that I knew what I was doing this time. I knew I was choosing eating disorder, but I was angry at God for letting me gain weight while I was serving him. I was angry that I had finally, you know, experienced this freedom and it had resulted in me gaining weight. And I thought I always have to be in control or something bad will happen. And so I went back to Canada. My husband married a girl he didn't know in the next three years were really just a mess of a marriage, you know, me starving myself and, and him trying to love me through it. And um, at the end of those three years, he gave, I was driving home one day and Trent was in the passenger seat and uh, we were, I was screaming at him. And I tried to drive the car into oncoming traffic. And he took the wheel and pulled us over to the side of the road and said, in a gentle way that I, I could not going the way I was going. He said, Emily, you need to choose between me and food because I cannot sit here and watch you die. That if you choose food, I'm out. And that was really a crossroads in my life where I began to choose love over fear. And that was at the root of my eating disorder. I was 
um, choosing not to eat out of fear of what would happen if I did, out of fear that I could not trust God, that I could not trust the people around me, that I couldn't even trust myself, really, um, to enjoy food. So we moved to Korea, we left everything and started over, and, and that's really when love began to define me and not fear. And um, and like you said, that's when my dad asked me to watch my mom over webcam, and I realized um, how sick she was with brain cancer. And again, I chose love, you know, and went home to take care of her um, three quarters of the way through my contract in Korea with my husband's blessing, of course. And, and we spent the next three years being my parent, my mom's caregivers and my dad's support system um, in a small town. So, yeah, anorexia has led me and destroyed me and <laughs> led me to the Father's love. And um, I think, you know, we don't have to be as scared of things like eating disorders and addictions um, as we are as Christians because God is bigger and He often uses these journeys so that we are so broken we need Jesus and we have to allow our children to be broken so they need Jesus and um, because otherwise Jesus is just you know a fancy term that we use on Sundays and we have no idea how how crucial he is to our existence we don't want to reduce Jesus to a, an inspirational cat poster on a 12 year old's mm -hmm. wall um, yes. but to actually live that relationship yes yeah, so today I, I do believe I'm walking in healing. Um, I'm, you know, very um, conscious that I have triggers, you know. I think everyone who has gone through an addiction or a disorder has to be aware that, you know, of their triggers and to avoid them. Like, I don't have a weigh scale in my home, and I don't look at calorie graphs on the sides of boxes, things like that. Yeah. Um, but because um, we're human, but I do believe that God is daily uh, redeeming my mind, and um, I love food. I love to eat. Uh, I, I noted throughout the book that you, uh, not just a writer, but you are a painter. You uh, draw or sketch, play guitar. Mm -hmm. It seems like you are involved in a lot of different mediums in terms of art. Did I miss anything there that you're involved in? No, yeah, music and um, thing are my biggest, and then writing, yeah. Is that is that part of growing up in your home that that was encouraged or, or grew out of that? My parents were great at encouraging the arts and um, especially music. My dad is very musical, and um, so we were always, you know, singing and playing um, piano or recorder or guitar and. Um, yeah, I, I really am grateful to my parents for a number of things, including giving me a passion for travel and a passion for art and culture. And um, that really, you know, allowed me to have um, a voice, you know, when I felt voiceless. Do you, I think at one point in the book, I noted that um, you wanted to be a, a TV journalist, mm -hmm. that you were hoping to be in front of the camera. And one of, maybe that's one of the first arguments you and Trent had mm -hmm. was um, him trying to understand why you wanted to, uh, to be in front of that camera. And you know, I don't think you ever came up with a good response, uh, <laughs> at least not that I could recall reading in the, in the book. So kind of tying that together with the question about art and even the fact that you're, you're here with me you know, promoting your book. 
Where does that fall for you now in terms of um, rec a desire to be recognized or a desire for your art to be shared to a greater audience? Oh, it is such a battle. Um, you know, I think one of our biggest battles in life is with our own ego. And um, I've definitely struggled with that since a child um, because I didn't feel seen and heard. I think that's something, you know, we all carry that little girl, little boy within us, Yeah. you know, and the, the thing is to always, whenever that little girl gets too loud to take her to Jesus, right? And remember, okay, he sees her, you know, and it satiates all of that longing to be seen in such a fame absorbed world. But I definitely, it has been a struggle, you know, especially with getting books out there to, um, to not want to be in the spotlight, you know, to not want more. Um, I think our culture just trains us to want more. And um, I actually, I, just to talk a little more about this, I went to Africa in January. And when I came back, it was like everything was so clear. My perspective was so clear on yeah. my role. It was not to be about me. It was a, it was about loving others and using my position in life to help others. And it was so freeing. And I had such joy. And um, all I cared about was alleviating the suffering of others. And then, you know, I launched a novel in the spring and a memoir in the summer. And all of a sudden, those all those the past just crowds around you and the voices, you know, like you want the New York Times bestselling list and you should have this and you should have and suddenly you forget you know it's not about me you know it's about something so much bigger so it, I don't know if I'll ever be free of it but I don't know if I totally want to be because it always makes me come crawling back to the cross kind of uh, Paul's thorn just that constant reminder that prods you occasionally to say hey um, refocus yeah get get back on track. So uh, coming back to the book, uh, do, you, do you have a goal for this book and, and whether it's what it accomplishes or what you hope the reader's going to take away from the book? Absolutely. Um, my goal through this book, especially because there is a sequel coming out next year. Um, oh, I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, very cool. No, that's okay. Very <laughs> Yeah, newsflash. Um, yeah, my goal is for this to be the beginning of a journey that does, doesn't end with the end of the book. Um, so what I really long for is readers to be able to find the courage to face their past and to begin the healing journey. Um, and I don't believe that all of their answers will be um, or all their questions will be answered by the end of the book, but that is on purpose, you know, partially because there is a sequel, but also partially because um, I want, if nothing else, for them to meet Abba, who will answer those questions, you know, so really to find courage to face their past. Very cool. And I'm excited to hear about the sequel. So um, I'll have to tell our reviewer, Mark, about that, because he, he was almost, when, when I asked him, while he was in the midst of reading the book, you know, so what do you think of the book? And he's like, oh, I love it. 
who's just so animated. He's like, it's just a beautiful book. And uh, Mark is also the guy that when I say, what would you think of the book? He'll say, (laughs) he's more than happy to say it's not good. Uh, But he just, he really, truly loved your book. So we're not prone to hyperbole. And um, anyway, so I'm sure he's going to be very excited to hear that there's a sequel to that book. Now, in addition to that, uh, is it all the proceeds from this book are going to Lulu Tree, uh, a nonprofit you founded? Yes, that's right. Um, Like I said, I got the opportunity to travel to Africa this winter on a blogger's trip. And I went to Uganda and Rwanda. And um, honestly, because I lived in Africa as a child, it felt like going home. Um, But and I think that helped me to um, empathize deeply with the people and their sufferings. And especially in Uganda, in the slum called Katwe, I was just broken by um, the disease, by the poverty, by the need. Um, and I don't think that would be surprising to anyone. You know, slums are a terrible, terrible yeah. place to live. Um, I did not come back to Canada planning to start a nonprofit at all. Um, and I think that's one of the most genuine um, things I've ever done and the most humble things I've ever done because it was not me. It was all God. Um, I honestly did not want to start a nonprofit. I wanted to join with somebody else that was already doing something. But I could not find another organization that was working in Cotway with the mothers. And my longing was to equip the mothers of Cotway um, to be able to care for their own children. So our slogan is preventing tomorrow's orphans by equipping today's mothers. We're doing that by starting a boutique um, in the fall. So we'll be selling items mothers make within North America, um, particularly one mother who actually gave up her business to run the boutique. And we're creating a market for these um, Lulu mamas to sell their uh, trades through. So um it's an amazing venture. We're partnering with National in Uganda. We're right now hiring a local Ugandan woman um, to be our social worker. And um, we appreciate your prayers. And you can um, find out more at lulutree.com. Lulutree.com? Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll make sure we, we link to that and encourage folks to get over there and, and take a look at that. Uh, so if people want to order a copy of the book, we're going to provide a link to the book in the show notes, but you can also call 1-800-877-2665, and I'll repeat that, 800-877-2665. And um, also we encourage you to go out and check out lulutree.com. Um, it's an intriguing idea with the boutique. And I, you said Lulu Moms. Is that kind of a, a, a title you give to women who are helping to suck as it uh, the boutique? No, Lulu Moms is a term that we're using for the Cotway Mothers, um, okay. so okay. The, the ones that we will be sponsoring. And they're actually going to be moms who have HIV. Um, okay. So, yeah, we'll be giving them a trade. And Oh, that's very cool. Okay, so you're, you're really employing and empowering yeah. women in Cotway. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, thank, thank you for having a heart for folks. Blessings to you. And I really, really appreciate your time this morning. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe. Well, God bless. And uh, we'll talk to you again with the sequel. Sounds good. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
Well, guys, there's uh, the interview with Emily. I hope you noticed I didn't say her last name, by the way. And uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed chatting with her. She's a, she's a very kind soul. Um, and again, you are not witness to um, some of the things that were very apparent in the book, some, some, some pretty incredible things that happened in the book. So the thing that I was going to say, once we got to the other side of the interview, one of the great things about chatting with her was like getting to hang out with an author whose book you really appreciated, which I did, but just go, okay, so I got to this part of the book and here's what I was thinking. And having her just be very open about, yeah, well, that's what it was like and here's what happened. So you, you read the book and you care for her and you connect with her. And then it's just, what a privilege to sit down and chat with her about what she wrote about. And, and then to find out there was a sequel coming as well even better, even better. Yeah, no, and we look forward to talking to her again, and we appreciate the opportunity to talk to her um, f- for this book. Um, and of course, uh, we're all going to have to read the next book. I didn't get a chance to read it, just p- the way the access to the book went, uh, and time, because I think I had a conference going on or something when that book came out. You did, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I look forward to that. And again, we look forward to any kind of interaction from you, our listeners, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, to tune in to us, and uh, we appreciate it. We consider it a community. Uh, this is just this is not um, you know a, a radio show. We're not special people. You know we we just want to get good artistry and good stories and good uh, people uh, in front of you. So. If you track with us and continue to, uh, follow us on Twitter at Frequency FM or Facebook at the same address. And uh, you can always email us at info at frequency.fm, and we love to hear from you. And Joe, as we always say about iTunes, what are we looking for in iTunes? R- reviews, please. Re- just a review. Yes. Re- it could just... Review, rate. Yeah, and here's the thing, just so you're aware... Canada and the U.S. have different review sites for frequency. So if you're in one, you won't see the reviews for the other. So we had a review a while ago from our good friend in Canada. Her name is escaping. Hannah. Okay. Our good, Hannah, our good friend right. Hannah. She sent us an email that showed great concern that there weren't more reviews uh, there. Doesn't anybody listen? I'm like, yes, there are people who listen. Um, it's just you don't see the reviews in Canada that have been written in the United States. However, this means that maybe more of you folks in Canada should be leaving reviews for us. Yeah, it would be appreciated. I would buy you Tim Hortons. No, he wouldn't. He has no money. It's a lie. <laughs> One more thing I wanted to say about Emily before we sign off is that she's actually written a guest post for us, and you heard her mention thelulutree.com. Uh, she's actually, they've opened the boutique, so we're going to be sharing a guest post from her uh, uh, immediately following the posting of this episode within a, a day or two at least so even if you're listening to this episode a year from the time we're recording it we encourage you to go over and read the post about the lulu tree and consider supporting them as a nonprofit. sounds great all right thanks joe and we will talk again soon